Welcome to the Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hylia Park where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to the Jockey Club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. My name is Dan Delgado. We are up to episode 18, which means that we are doing the 18th scene of Let It Ride. And really, and go ahead, say it along with me, it's the 18th scene according to me. This is the scene where Trotter runs into Lufkin and Johnny Casino at the Jockey Club. With me to discuss this scene is Dr. Sean Munger. And The Good Doctor recently wrapped up his own movie podcast, Green Screen, which took a look at movies from an environmental standpoint. There's even an episode with me on it. And Sean was also an interview subject on my film history podcast, The Industry. And there will be links to both of those in the show description. And a quick reminder, for those of you who need it, we do have merch. Yes, indeed. Maybe you cannot live without a Jockey Club t-shirt or mug. And now your prayers have been answered. Again, there will be a link in the show description for you to get yours. And if you're playing along at home, this is going to be from minute 4809 to 4935. So now, let's head on up to my usual table at the Jockey Club to discuss this, the 18th scene of Let It Ride. All right, so now should should I? I feel as though I should address you as doctor. Is that all right? <laughs> you don't have to do that. You I, may if you want to. I, <laughs> I don't run across a lot of doctors unless they're they're you know examining me. So it always feels like the proper right. thing to do. All right. So as always, with somebody who is doing this for the first time with me, first question is going to be: Can you recall? Can you tell me the first time it was that you saw Let It Ride? And what was your initial reaction to it, if you have such a memory? So, yeah, I do. Uh, I do remember seeing Let It Ride. I saw it in the theater in uh, 1989. Oh, I, lo- I, you know what? That just that just warms my heart. You know, I did as well. <laughs> and I feel like we're in such a minority. It, it's such a yeah, small well, it, number of us. It's wonderful to talk to somebody else. Yeah, so, it, it, it really came and went very, uh, very quickly. <laughs> it really did. So how old were you at the time before you continue? I'm just curious. Uh, I was 17. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. And this was shortly after, I, I mean, I, I put it somewhere in that summer of 1989. And I, just looking at the at the stats on it, I see the release date is August 18th. And yes. so that was shortly after my family moved to the Pacific Northwest, to the Portland, Oregon area. So there was a lot happening with me that summer. I do remember seeing it, and I must have, I, I, I know I went with my parents. And this was, I don't recall us really thinking much about it. <laughs> and and this was kind of one of, I think this era, and I, I, I know you mentioned something to this effect in, in some previous episodes, but 
the like film was really changing in this era and like how people related to movies was changing i think largely because it was the vhs era basically the home video era and it throughout much of the history of movies it had been like you make a decision okay we're going to go to the movies today and you then you would decide okay what are we going to see and then like later on that became that decision became a lot more rare for many people it was more like well we're going to go see you know x movie and so this was one of the last times that i remember where it's like, you know, hey, let's go to the movies and okay, well, let's look, you know, let's look for something to see. So I recall seeing, not only do I remember seeing it in the, in the theater, but I recall seeing like a commercial or something for it. Oh, sure. And I know, I know it wasn't heavily promoted, but I, I do remember seeing a commercial about it and it, it didn't, it, before I knew that I was going to go see it and I, I, it didn't make that much of an impression on me, but once we were going to see it, I, I know that I thought as we were walking into the theater, I, I didn't really have high hopes for it. And I thought it was going to be about, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought it was going to be about like a, a mafia type comedy. Like the mob is chasing Richard Dreyfus because he ripped them off in a horse race or like, that's <laughs> I don't know why I got that in my head, but that's what I thought it was going to be. It sounds like a good and, movie though. Yeah, and it well, I mean, it, yeah, but also that like that kind of plot had been done to death. Oh, in the late oh 80s. my god, absolutely, of course. So I, I guess I didn't, and, and even at seventeen, I had seen enough of those kinds of movies that I'm like, oh god, here's another one. <laughs> so, and I probably we we might have chosen this one because my my mother liked Richard Dreyfus, and you know I did too, and we had seen mm-hmm. you know a couple of a couple of his movies, and so I'm sure that was really the only draw. But I remember being sort of I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it, but I also didn't not enjoy it. It just kind of was in that weird middle zone. Okay, I gotcha. Right. So I and I remember being puzzled by the end of it. And I know this has come up on your podcast before, where the way the setup is and everything, it, it particularly the gambling aspects, it makes you think that the resolution of the movie is going to have something to do with the gambling issue. It's like, he's either going to, I know I remember I, I was surprised that he won at the end because I thought the setup was going to be, he's going to lose everything and decide that he loves his wife. And the final scene will be, Oh honey, I'm never gambling again. And then they walk off into the sunset. That's, that would make perfect sense. That's it, that is what happens in I don't know pretty much every other gambling movie, right? Is that right. you know you have this sort of reckoning at all of mm-hmm. the vice that you've been enjoying for ninety minutes. Now in minute ninety one, it's going to go all to hell. So that mm-hmm. makes perfect right. sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I remember being being kind of puzzled by that. Again, I didn't dislike it, but it just it didn't make that much of an impression. And so it, then it just sort of faded from my consciousness for a long time. And then actually, since you started doing this podcast, I don't know when you started. It was a couple of months ago, I guess. But yeah, Cody, my, my husband and I decided, you know what? I, I, wanna, I think I want to see that. It's like he says it's the greatest movie of all time. And I, <laughs> I don't understand why he says that. But I to give it a that. shot. That's correct. <laughs> so, so I went looking for this film and it's. I I don't know where you got it, but I could not find it on streaming. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but I do have a, a DVD, uh, like a special edition 
Australian print DVD that came out mm. last year that you you know you can get off off Amazon. But yeah, it's I'm pretty sure it is not streaming. It does pop up on streaming once in a while though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had to get it. I, it this is again, it, you know, calling me doctor. This is a little academic trick, but I had to get it from Interlibrary Loan. I had to get the DVD from Interlibrary Loan. <laughs> so. Which, which, I mean, I do stuff like that all the time, but it's usually academic books. But, yeah, so I was putting in my interlibrary loan order, and I'm like, eh, I just type let it ride into the okay, wait, wait, into wait. The, the search criteria. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. I, I need to understand this. What is interlibrary loan? What does that actually mean, for, especially for me and anybody else who might not know what you're referring to? Okay, interlibrary loan is a, is a service, actually really good program that is uh, like a voluntary program that many – libraries across really the world participate in where usually like if you have a library card for your local library you can access the system online and place if the, if your library doesn't have something you can place an order and it'll go through the system they'll find a library your library will find a participating library that has the what you want and is willing to send it to to your library so you just go and check it out but this works really well, especially for academics and mm-hmm. especially for academics who aren't attached to a university anymore. It's like I got my degree and they usually give you like you have all these library privileges where you can do research and re- access their databases and all this kind of stuff. But when you leave, they give you a grace period that's I think like 18 months or two years or whatever. Then they shut off your library access. And so if you're not working at another university by that time, it makes it really hard to do research because you're locked out of all the databases oh, and you wow. can't get books. Okay. So interlibrary loan is the way you you beat that, basically. And if you put your request in and you know how to search for it and where to look for it, you can get pretty much anything you want. <laughs> Including goofy horse racing movies from the 1980s. Yes, Exactly. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I typed in, typed in, let it ride and, you know, DVD. And it's like, oh yeah, the, you know, public library of Sheboygan, Wisconsin has like one copy, you know, something like that. And so I love this story. Oh my God. Okay. So, so because of this podcast, you went ahead and put in this interlibrary request to get it from Mm -hmm. some other library in some other part of the country to send it to you and watch it. All right. So now, now I'm going to ask you the obvious follow-up question doctor and that is upon recent review did it make more of an impression on you is it closer to being the greatest movie ever made than it was before <laughs> i'll say it's closer <laughs> how much closer I, I i don't know but <laughs> i did find it enjoyable and we thought it was we actually thought it was pretty good it was funny and it was quirky and I guess that's what I liked about it. This this watching it this recent time is that it does kind of defy your expectations. Yeah, it's it's very and, subversive. I would say uh, that's how I kind of yeah, look and, at it. And that was that was very hard to pull off in the late '80s, especially for something like this, which was going to be, you know, a light comedy. That I'm assuming the economic proposition of the studio was, Hey, you know, let's get Richard Dreyfuss to do it and we'll market it as a slapstick comedy with him. And that's going to be the draw. And then you get this weird movie that has these strange undertones and it's a, it's sort of about gambling, but sort of not. And so I like, this is, this is the kind of movie that would be more readily made today 
on like a 24 or, you know, some kind of, <laughs> some kind of streaming service that it would, it would just be one of these just very quirky. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a, like a starter film from, from some young director or something. Yeah. I would love to have seen whatever the initial reaction from Paramount was whenever they watched this movie. I don't think they, I can't imagine they cared for it that much, especially based on the fact that it sort of, threw it out on a weekend in August that had like five other releases mm-hmm. sort of at the mm-hmm. end of a, a summer that still has a ton of blockbusters still dominating the box office. It's just sort of like, eh, we'll just throw this out here. Let's just, let's yeah. just get it off yeah. the schedule. Yeah. And, and when I, when I think about the original time I saw it, I, I do kind of put it in the context of those other movies that were out there at that time, because and I went to the movies a lot that summer Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there was Do the Right Thing, and there was yep. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I just did a video on for my my YouTube channel, by the way. There was License to Kill, which is my favorite James Bond, one of my favorite James Bond movies. So there was a lot of good stuff. Oh uh, yeah, in the yeah. theaters. Yeah, that, that was summer. And, that was a killer summer. That was unquestionably yeah. a killer summer. You know, you had yeah, and and then it just it was starting to kind of slope off at this point in the summer where there weren't that many you know, big must see blockbusters out anymore. And that's when they kind of slipped it into the schedule. It seems like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was almost like, I think I, it used to be that mid to late August was like a dumping ground, kind of like January Mm -hmm. used to be also where studios would take movies that they don't really care about. They don't think they are going to perform and they just kind of dump it out. All right. We've Mm -hmm. already invested this much, put it out, whatever happens to it. (laughs) So anyway, Let's get on to our scene. This is scene number 18, according, uh, you know, in, in my count, which may not be accurate. It's a fairly quick scene. This is actually a pretty short scene. It's only a little over a minute long, but I do think it's kind of key. We learn a couple of things and we meet a couple of guys, right? right? The first time we saw Lufkin and Johnny Casino is in the previous scene, but here's the first time that we're actually hearing them talk and sort of learning who they are, right? In the previous scene, mm-hmm. uh, Trotter sees them and kind of growls at them while he's on the phone. But now we kind of learn who they are, right? As he returns to his table from the phone call, and he wants to go back to his jockey club existence of putting on airs and schmoozing the the two ladies and, and being the, I don't know, the fun, cool guy for the moment that, I, that perhaps he's always wanted to be. But it really kind of quickly changes, right, as, as these guys show up and they're sitting right at the table next to him. And the way Richard Edson, Johnny Casino, delivers his lines, like, I don't know. It's, it's, there's something wonderful about it. It's almost like he's singing them in a way, right? There's some sort of musical aspect. He says, I thought we'd find you at that dump across the street where all the pigs wallow, you know? <laughs> and Dreyfus is, uh, honestly, one of Trot- my favorite Trotter lines is here where he looks at his shoes and he asks them, where did, nice shoes, where did you buy them? A carpet sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 an interesting scene. It's yeah, it's not that long, and it, I what I kind of noticed from it is is sort of Trotter. It, it sort of highlights he's kind of incongruous in this environment. It's like the people are tolerating him, but it it's clear they don't really want him there. I'm not sure. It's like he understands that on some level, but on another level, he's really trying to to sort of schmooze and fit in. Yes, and. 
he thinks that he deserves to be there by the fact that he's won all these races and that's not really what's going on. And I'm not sure that he gets it. So I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. I also found it interesting how bored people look like, especially the, uh, the Michelle Phillips character is just kind of lounging around in a chair and, and wishes she was somewhere else. Oh and yeah. Even like the, the rich guys don't look like they're really happy to be there. So yeah. I noticed that too. Yeah. A lot of them just look like they're existing. Yeah. They just look mm-hmm. like they've been propped up there for a, a very long time. Yeah, and it is almost like when, when Lufkin and Johnny Casino show up, it does feel like it's his former existence, right? The, what he's mm-hmm. his past that he's you know maybe trying to escape that's coming back to to remind him who he really is. Because you know, Johnny Casino says, "Let me throw this bum out the window." That's what he says to Lufkin, re- re- you know, referring to Trotter like. I would love to kill this guy. I hate this guy so much because, you know, it's such an indicator of what their relationship to him must be as the degenerate gambler that he has been prior. You know, when you when you see him as a loser, as we know Mm -hmm. he must Mm -hmm. be before this movie starts. Right. Right. So, yeah. In the meantime, Lufkin collects a check from Bernie Alan Garfield, who's sitting there and it's very cordial. Uh, next week, it's me giving you this back. So clearly, Bernie's there. He's betting on the horses. So this check is for something else. What do you think he's betting on that he's giving him a check for? Oh, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I suppose that's part of the sort of the deep head canon of the movie that, that I don't think I've really considered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it maybe it's football, but maybe it's bullfighting. You know, it could be anything, yeah. right? Could be yeah. anything yeah. that these guys are betting on. And then we kind of get to, I guess, the, the meat of what this scene is, where Lufkin tells Trotter, "Hey, we're looking for Looney. He bet a nickel on the Packers, which for those of you who are not degenerate gamblers, it's five hundred dollars." And now. You've seen Looney, Sean. I've mm-hmm. seen Looney. There's no way that guy has five hundred dollars. Yeah, right. He doesn't. <laughs> right. Like, like if you sold everything in his apartment, you probably couldn't get five hundred dollars. Would be my guess. Mm-hmm. So how is it that these guys take the bet? Like they know him. They know him well, right? These bookies. So how do they take this bet without you know you're going to have to just end up breaking his legs? <laughs> yeah, it it, it kind of doesn't doesn't really make much sense, and I, it, it's also sort of curious why they're leaning on on Trotter. Well, as I, if he's going to force him to pay. I, I don't understand that either. Well, I think they can't find Looney, and Looney and Trotter are generally together, except for mm. for this movie. So maybe they're just thinking that's what's going to happen here, and so Looney owes. Over eight hundred dollars, which in today, mm-hmm. by the way, in today's world, that would be one thousand nine hundred eleven dollars and forty six cents. Wow, yeah, right. That's, that's quite a bit. And so, this movie doesn't exactly have regular antagonists, but these guys are maybe the closest physical representation that we're getting. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean. That and the Alan Garfield character, who's kind of more of like a social antagonist than a direct one. But and I guess this this is where I, I suppose the movie comes the closest to that initial 
idea that I had that it's going to be about guys chasing Richard Dreyfus because he he cheated them or something. And like you know, Richard Edson would be one of the ma- mafia thugs. But, you know, again, that's what I thought it was. And maybe there was a. I would be curious. I haven't seen the trailer, and I have no idea, of course, what commercial I watched way back in 1989. But I wonder if there were a couple of seconds of this scene in that trailer that may have given me that impression. I have no idea. It could be. If it makes you feel any better, I remember distinctly seeing ads for this on television, one or two. I -hmm. still didn't really know what the movie was about until I saw it. I just knew, like, I didn't even know. I don't, I don't know. It's, It's called Let It Ride. I don't know. There's, there's upbeat music in the trailer, and Richard Dreyfuss is in mm-hmm. it, and that's the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, and, and I wonder to the extent that the the studio, like you said, that they probably weren't very happy with with what they eventually got, and and maybe that was a conscious choice was to sort of sandbag as much information about the movie as possible in the promotion, <laughs> and just limit it to exactly what you just said. Like, okay, it's it's a comedy with Richard Dreyfus, and they figured that was the only reason why anybody was going to show up to this movie, and so that's what they were pushing, and they deliberately made everything else very opaque. That's not a bad theory. Yeah, that could be it could be what they were doing. <laughs> and and like if, if this was like a like a funny, you know, sort of mafia movie, it's like Richard Edson might be one of the guys you would you would cast as as one of the goofy hitmen. I mean, so it, it sort of makes sense. Oh yeah, he absolutely would. And you know, at the end of this scene where where he takes his his little I don't know, his little book and he Pap Dreyfus in the back of the head. You know, he's pay up or else. Like, it's so... They're, they're, they're being as friendly as possible as they can in delivering this message, but it feels like such a not very thinly veiled threat. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it feels like... Yeah, pay up or... It feels like, well, pay up or else. Or else someone's getting hurt, and it's probably Looney, and maybe it's you. Yeah, yeah. Like it seems like they're they're like kind of telling Trotter that like if well if we can't find Looney we're gonna come we're gonna come get you for it. And I mean that maybe that's why they made the bet. Is it's like well we know he won't pay, but we can shake up, shake down somebody else. Exactly. And now that he started winning races, he's now an attractive target. I mean, really, so. the, the actual end of the scene, Trotter says, well, I don't think I'll be seeing Mister Looney, and I love how he says that, Mister Looney, because yeah. I can only imagine <laughs> when everybody else at the other tables are thinking when they're talking about a guy whose name is Looney, right? So maybe by putting, maybe Trotter's trying to save a little bit of face by calling him Mr. Looney just before he gets, he says, I don't think I'll be seeing Mr. Looney anytime soon. And then he gets up and leaves in the most obvious, I'm going to go and warn him right now, right? And then isn't the next scene that, I don't want to spoil anything, but isn't isn't that where he finds up at the blood bank? Uh, there, you, there's nothing to spoil. Okay. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. We, it, anything is open. All the scenes are open, really. I mean, we're focused on this one, but whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. right well, after he this. He goes to the bar next, and and then and then they tell him that he's at the blood bank. That's exactly right. Yep, he's at a, he's yeah. at the blood bank, and and <laughs> I do love that at the blood bank when they when he sees him. This is just perfect behavior. He's yeah. Giving the blood with the racing form in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. (laughs) That is all-star level uh, degeneracy right there. Yeah, and I I, I love David Johansson's performance in this whole movie. It's very funny. 
His performance in Scrooge, I'm sure, is what got him this gig. Oh, man, that's right. <laughs> He's great in Scrooge, the taxi yeah, driver. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the ghost of Christmas past. Or Christmas, I don't know which one it was, but uh, he's I, in it. I think, oh man, now you've got me thinking. I think he's passed. He's the first one, right? Yeah, I think yeah, he is. Yeah, okay. he's the first he one. Yep, so there you go. All right, well, we've reached the end of the scene. You got anything else that you want to toss out here, Doctor? Well, uh, not really. I mean, I, I find this whole project very interesting. I mean, it's. I can't say that I'm a huge fan of the movie, but... Uh, your, I mean, your show's been very interesting. <laughs> I do like the fact there were a couple, a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, the the subject of apprenticeship of Duty Kravitz came up. Oh, sure. And and I'm glad that that got mentioned because that's sort of the sleeper in Dreyfus's career, and it really deserves to be more well known because it's one of his best performances and one of really his better movies. I absolutely love that film. That's another one that's super hard to find. I think I had to had to get that by Interlibrary Loan also. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that is definitely but, a movie that's kind of just it's sort of just gone by the wayside and unless yeah. you're you're a big Dreyfus guy, you probably don't mm-hmm. even know that one that don't even yeah. know that one. Yeah, and it's it, it, like that film is based on a, a famous novel that was written by a Jewish author in Montreal who who like kind of was writing in that era the 40s and 50s and so it was kind of like a sort of a depiction of of that community, and it, it's just a very it's like a, it's a community you don't expect to see often in movies, but that, I think they did it really well. And and there's like Dreyfus has such a he's he really does have a range because he can do slapstick stuff like this, or he can do the kind of more introspective sort of social comedy like Duty Kravitz, and. He, He's he's just he's really amazing and and clearly in, in Let It Ride he I think he's the best obviously the best performer in it and I think he knows it too but it, it's just it's interesting to watch him work in in his various roles so I thought that was great that you mentioned that have you seen The Big Fix that's another kind of under oh, the radar s- Dreyfus film where he's a yeah t- I saw it years ago I I don't really remember anything about it it's a detective movie he's a detective hmm. uh, it's from like seventy eight I'm pretty sure. But put that on your interlibrary request would be my recommendation (laughs) to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Sean Munger. Look for Sean's podcast, Green Screen, wherever you got this podcast from. There will be a link to it in the show description just to help you out. You can also find a link to the video Sean mentioned that he made about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in there as well. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound. Our cover art is by Sean Labrie. If you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope that you did, then I hope that you could find it somewhere deep in your heart to give this show a five-star rating. That's right. If you could head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or maybe whatever podcast player you're on and rate the show, maybe give it a review. Well, I don't know that it's going to necessarily help anything out, but it will make me feel so much better. 
you can contact me through email, dan at moviemaker.com. On Twitter, where I'm constantly at, it's at underscore Dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, I am on the Repod app, which is a great way to not only to listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts like myself. Find it in your app store. Come on by and say hello. This has been Dan Delgado for The Jockey Club. And remember, sometimes you could be walking around lucky and not even know it.